option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brukop to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. There's a snap. snap. It's by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose, and it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to four-yard line. A turnover, and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. As always, joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, I think Saturday night is going to be kind of our first opportunity to see whether this is a football team that, that's contenders or we might find out maybe they're pretenders. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I picked them to go 7-5 and five this year, so I guess I never really thought they were either of those things, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't think they're a ranked team. I don't think they're bad. Uh, nothing that I've seen so far has really changed how I feel about this team long term. I and mean, I think they're going to make a bowl, a bowl so I, you know, if that makes them a contender, then I guess that's where the that's where I would lean with it. I don't think they're a bad football team. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people are overreacting to what we've seen so far for sure. Well, going off that, they outscored their non-conference opponents ninety-five to twenty-seven. If I had told you that preseason, what would kind of be your reaction? Was it was that along the line of what you expected from this football team through three football games? No. I mean, I would have expected more points based on the opponents. We expected CSU's defense to be pretty poor, so I would have expected us to be closer in the 140, 150-point range at that point. And I would have expected us to give up more points, too. I mean, only giving up 27 points is definitely a surprise. I thought we'd be giving up somewhere closer to 30 just to CSU alone. And then the other two games, listen, like, they didn't have to try hard to win those games. I don't think you need to overthink it too much. Um, obviously, you would have liked to see them play better. But at the end of the day, they're 3-0, and none of the games are really that close. So I suppose you'll take it and move on, and let's see what they do against Washington. Your buddy Zach Jones had a good tweet uh, during the, the Northern Colorado game, and he said the, the biggest shame of the fact that they're not blowing this team out is that these young guys don't get on the field. Yeah. Sam Neuer didn't get to play in that football game. I think that that without question, that that's the point there, is, is that you, you just – you would really like to get those guys some run early on in the season, and they weren't able to. Definitely. Uh, it's disappointing. If Tad Boyle is the coach, he would be fired up at his starters. for He, he holds those guys responsible when they play teams like that in the basketball games. It's your job to make sure these walk-ons can get in and earn some time. Some of these younger guys, he always talks about that in the media. I was surprised to see McIntyre not really discuss that as well. Definitely, I think, as a leader of the team and as an older guy on the football team, you got to take ownership of the fact that you want some of these younger guys to be able to play, and they didn't play well enough to get that done. Are Texas State in Northern Colorado going to do well in their respective conferences? I mean, they they didn't look like 
they they look like football teams that had some athletes out there that yeah yeah I mean I think Texas State is going to be the best they've been in a long time I'm not sure if they're going to win a bowl or do anything of that nature but they should be middle of the pack in their league from based on everything we've seen um, Northern Colorado's kind of slowly worked their way up coming from a D2 program powerhouse to struggling at the D1 level for a while now but they were middle of the road in their conference last year I expect them to be at least that this year if not move up a little bit. Afa Laba Luguda was ejected from that Northern Colorado game late in the first half. Chris Malumba was ejected in the second half, which means he's going to miss the first half of this Saturday's game against Washington. What was your take on those targeting ejections? I mean, I thought they were the first one was definitely more legit than the second one. There was no reason to hit him there. You knew he didn't catch the ball. I mean, it's tough because he's turning, so it's hard to really say that he's targeting a guy's helmet when he's running around. But this is a issue with Laguda at this point. He, He's been ejected he, so many times. You can't times. turn yourself into a human spear, basically. Yeah. And, and, exp- and Now, I will, I will take some of those aggression penalties over, like the play where Nick Fisher could have made a play on the ball in the end zone, but he kind of was timid. I'd rather have a guy playing 100 miles an hour out there, but you, you can't launch your body like that and, and, and expect them not to make that call. I mean, I think it was three officials that Threw right. a flag on that play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, so I think they all saw it. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it wasn't the most egregious targeting penalty I've ever seen in terms of contact, but you're in the middle of the field and you see the guy doesn't catch the ball. Just let it go. There's no no real need to go there. And he's had a history. I mean, this is at least the second, possibly third, the third time he's third, been ejected. Yeah. So at this point, maybe there's something he needs to be doing. Uh, the Malumba one, I didn't really love. It was a late call, too, on a badly thrown ball across the middle. I mean, that is what it is. Like, I, if that's targeting, you could call targeting multiple times in every single right. game. I called it uh, a weak call, but watching it back, I think it was the right call because it's a quarterback. And even Mike McIntyre uh, was was explaining this. When the quarterback lets go of the ball, you just can't hit him up high. Or they're going to call it, and that's what happened in that case. Again, though, I would rather have Chris Malumba trying to make that play than him not. Yeah. All right, moving along, Washington comes to Boulder relatively untested as well, although they've been more dominant in their previous two games than the Buffaloes have. They trailed Rutgers really early in their season opener, but then they went on to outscore the Scarlet Knights and their next two opponents, Montana and Fresno State, over a total of 11 quarters by a combined score of 138-30. to 30. So you got to expect that they're coming to Boulder pretty confident, especially knowing that they just kicked this team's butt in the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, I mean, they should be confident. They're one of the most talented teams in the country. They're an outsider's pick for not to return to the playoffs. I mean, there's every reason for them to be confident. They haven't really been tested, so you never know how a team will react to that the first time around. Uh, they have a road game in Boulder at altitude. It's a little bit different than going to Rutgers. You know, like yeah. I can't imagine the atmosphere there was all that crazy. It doesn't sound like the weather's going to be great, which might play into their favor a little bit. But, yeah, I don't – it's hard to really get a read on just how good they are. I mean, I think they're very good. I think they're a top 10, 15 team at the very least. They could be even better than that, but we just have to see based on the competition. They have a ton of NFL talent. There's going to be some guys out there that make you say wow in terms of their physical prowess as well as you know how how quick some of their guys run around the field offensively. They have a lot of weapons. Uh, we're going to have to play well. I mean, we got blown out in that Washington game last year, but a lot of that had to do with us making mistakes. You know, that's when you play a team that's better than you, you can't give them free points. You can't 
take away points from yourself, or otherwise it's going to end up looking pretty ugly, and that's how it went down. Talking with a lot of the players this week, they, to a man, said, hey, the difference in that football game was that Washington was more physical than us. Can you, knowing that and feeling that embarrassment and not wanting that to happen again, can you offset that with your home crowd? Or is Washington just simply a better, more physical football team? It, I mean, it helps to be at home for sure. But, I mean, just look at the guys on Washington. Yeah, they're more physical because a lot of them are a lot bigger. I mean, you know, we've gotten a lot better, more talent in the last three or four years. But we don't have Washington's talent. We just don't. I mean, their D-line is massive. They have guys that could play in the NFL right now on defense and on the offensive line. You know, like we're, we're getting there. We're getting to that point. But Washington's a bigger, more physical football team. It's just a fact. Silver, black, silver, or I guess you could say gray, black, gray, however you want to say it, is going to be the color combination. It's funny. I tweeted out that's my favorite uniform combination. And then anytime you have an opinion about uniforms, you have a lot of agreement and a lot of disagreement. <laughs> and my, so my notifications were kind of all over the map. I love those two. One of my favorites. Um, I just think it's a cool combination of colors, regardless of CU. I just think it always looks pretty flashy. Uh, so, you know, they'll look good. We'll see if the crowd holds up their end of the bargain, especially with the weather not looking so hot. Check out my piece on James Stefano, the new place kicker that I, that I wrote about this week. He, I think he's going to be my new favorite buff once Philip Lindsay graduates. Uh, the fact that he can come in as a 30-year-old true freshman and make jokes about himself and not take himself too seriously and to go out there and make six of your first seven kicks uh having no experience playing football that's pretty impressive yeah i mean he's been off to a good start most of them have been drilled too not a whole lot of questionable ones or ones that just snuck in he's looked really comfortable so far and i really hope this is not a jinx on on the kid by you know yeah. interviewing him and talking about his his hot start because i'd love to see that continue CU finally gets its first defense line commit on board, but the prospect hasn't announced publicly yet, so I guess we'll kind of sit on that. Uh, uh, definitely stay tuned to buffstampede.com for recruiting content. Uh, a lot of stuff on the site that we don't put on this podcast. And we were down at Highlands Ranch last Friday checking out Big Salsa, Austin Johnson, a, a 2019 offensive line recruit. And we got to catch up with Ray Robinson, the Buffalo's 2018 linebacker commit he's expected to play buff backer for the buffs uh that was fun even though it was at times with any high school football game you're kind of like okay this thing's dragging <laughs> on a little bit too long yeah we had a hurricane in the middle of the third quarter <laughs> yeah. so that was fun it was an interesting game i honestly thought watching the game shepherd had a lot more talent should have taken over the game and just never did Highlands ranch won uh so it was a tough uh, good effort on their part especially since they d- didn't have the services of the quarterback who had a rough injury with yeah. his hand as we talked about uh, on our video after the game um yeah i thought there was four or five guys um combined that are going to play some college football you know at the next level so it was fun to see a few of those guys i hadn't seen or heard of before so it was fun to get uh, eyes on yeah. them too yeah we got to get out to uh, cherry creek game for sure dimitri stanley is having a really good senior season he's committed to colorado as well uh, we also want to get out. I want to get out to Eagle Crest. They have a 2019 offensive lineman, Barrett Bear Miller, that has an offer just like Big Salsa 2019 in-state kids. So uh, let's try to try to do that. I had a chance to talk with Nick Fisher following Wednesday's practice. He, of course, saw his first action in that Northern Colorado game. What was it like getting back out there, uh, seeing your first action uh, in 2017? Uh, it was fun. I was excited to go in. Um, 
They talked about me going in like before the game, but I didn't know it was going to be that soon. So, uh, I mean, it felt great. So, no so complaint. it really was a game time decision, basically. Yeah, it was. Hamstring injuries are kind of finicky. Uh, talk about kind of how you suffered that injury and, and kind of the, the recovery process. Yeah, uh, when I first got it, it was August 3rd. Um, and then I went through two weeks, felt pretty good, tried to get back in, and then I ended up uh, worsening, like making the injury worse. So uh, then I didn't come back until this last previous game, so I was out for about like a month and like a week and a half. No football, no contact, no no running or anything like that. So that definitely took a toll on me, um, maybe even slowed me down. Just, you know, it's different. It's just different getting game time reps and stuff like that. Um, and then it was just a lot of treatment, treatment, treatment. I'm still doing treatment right okay. now because, like you said, it stays with you. Like some days I had to really work it um, just to make sure, you know, I don't come out here. Um, and jack it up anymore and then there's like scar tissue and crap like that okay. work through that that sucks so. do you feel like you're past the stage of potentially re-injuring it or is it okay. with the hamstring is it just hard to tell I mean I'm not, I'm not going to re-injure it I've been running full speed and stuff like that there's no uh, worries there as long as I keep on doing treatment and stuff like that it's just going to get better right now it's just uh, I think we're just strengthening and then flexibility right now So I would imagine that was super frustrating when you're trying to prepare and, and, and get a starting spot in camp and you're not able to go out there uh, definitely um, I was looking forward to starting this year. Um, thought I'd put together a pretty good spring, and then I was uh, coming out here hoping to prepare a good fall as well. And then that happens, and then you come back, uh, and now you just have to do anything to help the team. So, Are you practicing in multiple roles, or are you just strictly at safety at this point? Um, still safety, yeah. What, uh, you, when you get out there and get that chance, what, what do you think are some things you can show that maybe you've improved on since your underclassman years? Uh, definitely uh, covering. Uh, just in the middle of the field, I think uh, they help me a lot better with depth and stuff, eyes like that. I think I can get hash-to-hash numbers and numbers, things like that. And then, uh, man, we work a lot of men, so that's a better. And then tackling, so I think I'm a better tackler. So. Obviously a huge football game coming up. What would have been the points of emphasis from DJ Elliott and Shadon Brown in, in those meeting rooms this week? Uh, definitely we got to keep our eyes uh, where they need to be, we need to play sound, tackle, and be physical because that's one thing that uh, we all know that kind of – uh, towards the end of the game, they out physical to us last year, um, Washington. So we want to match the physicalness and try to even take it up a notch. So that's our. It sounds like that's really stuck with you ever since December, right? There's been a lot of players this week that have talked about really remembering being embarrassed out, uh, out against Washington. Yeah, they're a great team. Uh, they know what they're doing. Um, you know, this is not revenge or anything for us. We got to come out here and play our ball, uh, protect our house, something like that. So I mean. Like you said, they did, you know, might have been an embarrassment, but we're just looking at being physical and doing what we can do, control what we can control. On a lighter note, in the preseason, I was asking guys, who's the funniest guy in that locker room? Your na- name came up a few times. Uh, talk about your, your uh, comedy. What, what's kind of what's your style of approach to get guys to laugh in that locker room? Uh, I have ADHD, so pretty bad. Um, so I'm always energetic. If it's like 4 a.m., I'm the guy coming in here, like yelling straight through the locker room. Is making all types of jokes. Uh, I mean, some people can't be around me if they want to be serious because they have no option but to laugh. But, I mean, it's anything, really. Uh, I'll say something crazy, just talk in a different voice, act, uh, impersonate uh, my DB coach, uh, Shadon Brown, uh, have all the guys cracking up. And then uh, me and Isaiah, when we get together, is even worse. It's just like a multiplier effect. So. 
Has Shadon Brown heard your impression of him? He hasn't. I think, no, he hasn't. He might have, uh, when we were doing pictures, actually, uh, the whole team was, like, impersonating him. And he was, like, three three, uh, benches behind us for team pictures when we took Okay. Our pictures in Folsom, so I think he had to hear it, but I don't know. Not. Can explicit. you give us a little sample here? No, no, no. I'm a, no. Fair enough, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's spot on. Yeah. You got to hear him. Though. All right. Well, Tyler, I almost got the Shadon Brown impersonation. So close. I, I'm guessing Nick probably didn't want to do a whole lot of extra running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never good to make fun of your position, coach. <laughs> well, it, it was tough though for him. We had kind of projected him as a starter with Tedrick Thompson graduating, and he gets this hamstring injury early on during camp, and really that that set him back. And it was tough to expect a whole lot out of him. He this this kid hasn't practiced a whole lot this preseason. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could tell he's a little tentative out there. You saw that from him early last year as well, before he started getting more and more playing time. I think he'll get you know into the game, get comfortable. He'll have a good year for us as soon as he gets more playing time. Yeah. And he'll be a, a big part of special teams as yeah. well going forward. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. We have some questions from the Stampede. It's not the Stampede Elite message board anymore. It's the Inside, uh, inside the, the Herd. The herd. We, so we have some questions from our premium board, and we also have some questions from Twitter. This one's from Twitter, at the Ghost of Marv asked, if the game on Saturday doesn't sell out, is it CU's fault for offering $130 tickets or the fans' fault for not buying them? Uh, shared blame, I guess I would say. I mean, I think the, really the main thing right now is the weather doesn't appear to be great. That's going to, you know, deflect some people from getting tickets at the last minute for sure. Um, you know, $130 is steep, but this is, if not the best opponent we'll see at home this year, pretty darn close. CU's moving their way up the level, and I think, you know, you got to start setting expectations that it's not going to be a cheap ticket to get into Folsom anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think all that stuff is important, um, you know, Find tickets, secondary market, all that kind of stuff. You can find ways to get in the game. I never really like excuses. I mean, if you don't want to spend $130 tickets, buy season tickets. pretty simple. Well, CU's probably in a tough spot because they, they set a price point based on what they expect the supply and demand to be, right, preseason. And if you, you'd all of a sudden just change that the week of the game, you're going to upset a lot of people that paid that price, right, I would yeah. imagine? Mm-hmm. Moving along, at Snowbuffs, you asked, bigger surprise, the defensive line performance or the offensive line performance? Easy one for me. It's definitely the offensive line performance. I'm not really all that surprised by how the defensive line has played so far. I said going into the year, I thought they were going to be more solid than people expected. I don't think they've been overly dominant by any stretch. I think they've been pretty good, which is more or less what we thought we were going to see. The offensive line has struggled uh, way more than I thought. Not a lot of continuity. They're trying a lot of different guys out there. Yeah, I mean, Clayton Adams has got a tough job right now because they, sh- they should be really solidified in what they want to do with their front five, and he's not happy with them. So there's almost too much shuffling going on, I would say. Well, um, part of that was that Jonathan Huckins didn't practice until the very end of the week, and I, I, I expect him to go back to the starting five that we anticipated with Huckins being at center. Of course, Irwin left tackle, co-left guard, uh, Timmy Lanat Jr., right guard, and then Aaron Hagler, who's struggled quite a bit this season at right tackle. Um, I think I think that's still your best group that you're going to put out there. That's what I would expect to see against Washington. Yeah, and but if we see guys moving in and out, it's gonna. I would think Washington will take advantage of that. At Hunt underscore Baumgarten asked, do you like Lanat at center or guard? Line had great chemistry last season when he played guard. Your thoughts? So again, the reason that he was in at center that last game is because Huckins had been banged up and hadn't practiced 
uh, until the very end of the week. He's definitely, at this point, you'd like to see Lenata at, at guard. That's kind of his natural position at this point. Right, that's where he's been practicing for most of his time. I think eventually they've considered moving him over to center, but you want to go with the line that's been practicing together all fall camp. I think that's what you would ideally want to see from your offensive line. It is an interesting question going forward, though, because on one hand, after Huckins graduates this year, if you move Lenat into center, you're helping him, I think, for his future because if he's going to play in the NFL at his size, it's probably going to have to be at center. Yeah. Um, but you also have this t- talented young guy, Colby Purcell, who's redshirting right now that seems like a pretty natural fit for that center position. Yeah. It, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Lenat might stay at guard through his entire career and then... As he uh, transitions to the NFL, he's just going to have to get a ton of there practice. A, yeah, there are a lot of guys who switch from guard to center, or tackle to guard into the NFL as they move on. So people will take a look at you know your attributes and see you on film, and they're like, okay, we think he can be a center. And he's obviously practiced there, so I think the transition will be a little bit easier for him. I don't necessarily think he has to play center to make it to the NFL. At William Bonnie 2 asked, why isn't Bo Bishrat getting touches? And why do they seem to be restricting him as a big back like they did with Frazier? So Philip Lindsay is going to demand the bulk of your carries. And hindsight's twenty twenty, but Michael Atkins had a really, really good camp. And, of course, now you, we have to question if he's back in the doghouse by fumbling and then smiling about it afterwards. Um, but, I mean, it was, that's clearly they, they, there were better backs, better options going into the, those non-conference games. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, if you've watched him run the football, it hasn't been very impressive, so I'm not sure why you'd want to see him do it anymore at this point, honestly. I think he stands up too straight, honestly, for a bigger back. I'd still love to see him at linebacker. I just don't think it's going to work out long-term for him as a running back. I think he's useful as a lead blocker, as he was mentioning there, but I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that gets 15 to 20 carries at Colorado. And now Kyle Evans is back. He saw his first action in that Northern Colorado game. Going back to Bisharat, uh, do you still hold out hope that he moves to linebacker at some point, or have you kind of resigned yourself to the fact he's going to stay at running? Yeah, back? I don't really hold out hope that it's going to happen. I mean, I think if it does, it'll improve his career and chances of getting to the NFL for sure, but it doesn't sound like it's going to happen at this point. Maybe if that does happen, it maybe it would take like an Alex Fontenot to kind of jump him. In, in a yeah, I mean, he looked great in camp, I thought. A lot of bursts, so we'll see if he can maybe get going next year. At Dan M. Welch asked, what is the worst matchup for CU Saturday night position-wise? Where potentially could they have the most success? I'm most worried about CU's D-line going into this game. I'm most worried about our offensive line, interior especially. Uh, the interior of the Washington defensive line is really talented, really stout. Both D1, uh, or sorry, early round NFL draft picks in my opinion, especially Vea. Um, they're going to get pushed around if they don't show up this week. So it's going to be important for them to do that moving forward. Uh, I guess the, the worst, I mean, Dante Pettis, obviously. I think our special teams has improved, but that's a big concern. Obviously, you can't let him get going. Uh, as far as where could they have the most success, I mean, Washington's secondary, they have a really good safety in Taylor Rapp, but their corners are not tested yet. Uh, you know, wide receivers are supposed to be one of the best in the country, so you have to feel like maybe you can get some things done there. And, uh, you know, that's the only thing that really stands out to me as a huge moment of opportunity for Colorado right now. At Wrench025 tweeted, special teams this year versus last year. Kind of an open-ended deal here. We talked about James Stefano 
Um, and even his extra points have been getting height. You can actually go to the bathroom when yeah. CU attempts an extra point. Now, last year, they were kicking the ball so low, you just you, you kind of held your breath every time they went out there for an extra point. So uh, th- that's been a, uh, quite a big improvement through three games. Alex Kenny's been really solid. His net punting average is little more than five yards better per punt than it was last season. And he's already punted the ball seven times inside the 20-yard line. He had 15 inside the 20, so almost half as many through three games that he, as he had in 13 games last year. Uh, so quite a huge improvement there. And they have, they've yet to return a kick so far. They haven't had that opportunity. Yeah. But their, their kickoff has been good. Uh, a couple have been returned, but there's the one against UNC where they tackled the guy at the 10-yard line. That's been a, uh, an upgrade as well you got to assume that Ross Ells has helped here. He came in with a special teams background. And then I think, uh, you know, just recruiting a, a solid kicker. And Alex Kenny, you got to give him credit. He took a lot of flack last year. And for him to kind of take that sophomore slump to heart and really put in the work that he did uh, is pretty impressive. Definitely. I mean, he's had a much improved year. We saw that in fall camp that it looked like he had a chance to do that. Through three games, he looks really comfortable. Not much to argue about. Stefano's looked good. I mean, kickoff has been fine. They're getting pretty much all the kickoffs through the end zone, so not a lot of opportunity for the other teams. SF Bay Buff asked, taking the lead from the message board, have you guys changed your season-long outlook for the Buffs based on the first three games? Not even at all. Not a little bit. I was I had 7-5 before the year. I still think we can do that with where we are right now. I predicted us to lose the next two games, so likely nothing in the next two weeks will change my mind either um so you know we'll see how it plays out I, I just don't I don't try to look too much into one two or even three games yeah you we were both seven and five predictions going into camp you stuck with that I, I went to eight and eight eight and four with my prediction after camp and I don't even know if I would change that prediction I thought C would look a little bit better non-conference but I also thought the Pac-12 would be a little better than it was last year, and I don't think it really is, honestly. Yeah, it hasn't looked good overall, for sure. So I'll stick with that. I mean, seven wins looks like as good a prediction as any two. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we're kind of along with the, where we thought they would be at this point. I, mean, I think Cal and Arizona at home, Arizona State and Oregon State on the road are all four very winnable games. You need to win three of those four to get to bowl eligibility. I don't see why that's not realistic. Yeah. TKH11 asked about Frank Umu. Mike McIntyre was again asked about that by Brian Howell on Wednesday. He said that he's still suspended. Uh, I know it's frustrating to see fans because they just kind of want to know what's what's the the suspension, what's the length. Um, my speculation is that, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, this was a scuffle that went too far. I think the player that got hurt in this incident, maybe they're waiting for him to come back practicing. That would be my guess, but again, that's just a guess. I don't know. I do think McIntyre could handle a little bit better in, in, I don't know what the wording would be, but instead of, it's very clear that he doesn't want to go into too much depth on this, but there's got to be a better way to diffuse this, right? Yeah, I mean, whatever he's doing certainly isn't working all that well, so I don't, I don't know if he really cares, though, honestly. Like, I don't think he's trying to appease anybody. They're just handling it the way they want and moving on, which is fine, too. I mean, he doesn't really need the approval of me or anyone else. Yeah. But it couldn't be a, like a game planning thing, right? I mean, if no, I Washington just, finds out that Frank Umu is or isn't playing, that's not affecting their no, game plan. I would think not. <laughs> They're thinking too hard if it is. <laughs> At C Unit Football tweeted, talk about the C Unit. That's pretty open ended. Sure. I mean, you know, I was impressed with the first two games, wasn't impressed with the last game. 
So let's see what you guys got for Washington. I mean, you know, I love students that care about football, basketball too. Um, so keep bringing it. I'd like to see it packed every day. I don't think there's any excuse when it's not. The little flag routine they have now is pretty cool. Yeah, a little smoke action. A little smoke action. So how long after you graduated did, did you sneak your way in the student section? Oh, I have tickets. They do those young alumni tickets. In the same area? Yeah, so you would just sit in the student section. It's like a cheap version. I had those until this year. So I was in the student section so, until I was 30, 29. So did, was that always the plan? You're like, okay, as soon as I hit 30, yeah, I got I to... No, it had nothing to do with 30, really. Um, it just got to a point where I was like, well, they weren't coming like they used to anyway. So it was just kind of, I don't know. We, we used to have a whole group of people that wanted to sit together. Okay. And as kids, have, you know, people have kids and move yeah. on. It's like not as big of a group. So it's not as important to have 20 seats available. And we obviously can't get all of our tickets together. So, yeah, it's just we, for my 30th birthday, I got myself touchdown club seats. It was a really great decision. I see. It's I been treating you well? Oh, yeah, it's awesome over there. So what, what are all the perks? Obviously, you can get alcohol during the game. You can get beer and wine. Um, they have... Uh, all the food is free, so you get. I mean, they have carving stations and popcorn and pretzels, and they had blueberry pancakes last week. Wow! Yeah, you can go up that. All that's free, so all the food's free. So that's that's trouble awesome. though, right there. Yeah, I mean, I'm <laughs> on a diet, so I didn't really partake in most of it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's really cool. It, actually, half the ticket is tax deductible too, which none of the young alumni to, students are because they're not donations. Uh, so that's really nice. And then, yeah, I'm not a beer or wine guy either, but I'll have a little bit of wine. They do have some, like, canned Moscow noodles if I want, so I can drink a little bit of that. But, I mean, it's it's cool for everybody else that wants to be able to drink during the game. And the seats are great. We're row two. It's amazing. What kind of meat are they carving up in there? They do different stuff every week. So, a little turkey, a little yeah, they had, they had, uh, prime rib? Yeah, yeah. They had prime rib last week, so I'm sure they'll do turkey as we get closer to Thanksgiving, do all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, man, the food's great. And it's free, so that's always nice. We've had our press box food upgraded the last couple of years as well. You know, Dave Platty is part owner of Benders in Westminster. Jimmy Armstrong, former Denver Post writer, uh, is up there providing food for us. And it's it's been pretty good. I, I'm hearing that barbecue's on the menu for this, this Saturday night, so I'm looking nice. forward to that. We used to get fed uh, just plain old hot dogs, and that gets old after. <laughs> Jake, Shapiro, you had about it. Jake Shapiro would be all about it. I wonder if he's broken the 100 hot dog barrier yet. I'm going to have to ask. All right. LJ Buff had two questions. One, if you were to take one player from the past 10 seasons and add them to this team, who would it be? I'd take Jordan Dizon. That's a pretty good pick. That's hard to argue with that, but and this sounds kind of crazy because CU has a lot of talent at this position, but I was just thinking of one guy that could really big be a big difference maker out there paul richardson as a deep threat out there that would be awesome i should i cheated and took three so you can tell which one okay. you like the most um my number one was nate solder i think that would solve a lot of your issues on the offensive line right now dominant all-american left tackle that'll do a lot of work for you and then i had two on the defense i would like a fifth year jimmy gilbert right now on this okay. team Good one. And then Cheeto. If I had Cheeto for one more year, I'd feel pretty good about where we are. If you had Cheeto, and Ryan Isaac, Moeller, and Evan Isaac, Worthington. And Isaiah Oliver. That's pretty damn good yeah. secondary. Yeah. You'd like to say somebody in the trenches, but again, with one player, you're only you're rotating those guys. You're only getting yeah. so much of a difference. And I think there isn't really one in the last 10 years that I thought really made what about a huge difference. 
Abraham Wright as as an outside backer. Yeah. Although, I mean, is that t- within the last ten years? He was probably close, but I yeah. honestly think I might take Jimmy. Like, if I had one more year of Jimmy, that would be my guy. 2016 Jimmy. Yeah. 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 All right. His other question was, since you began covering the team, is there a player that sticks out to you that had the most talent and did very little, or a guy with less talent that really got the most of it? Marcus Seamus was a guy who seemed ultra-talented but never had the passion for football. On the other end, I'd say Scotty McKnight. He does a good job of answering his own questions because <laughs> – Seamus is probably the pick there. That that would be an NFL receiver, again, to his point, if he really loved football. Yeah. I have two other guys on this list. Um, to me, the uh, Bryce Givens was going to be a yeah. really good player for Colorado before all of his issues. And Linkatoa, I was really excited yeah. about him as well. So those are the two that popped out to me. Uh, man, on the other one is tough. I mean, Philip Lindsay. There's a lot that he had to overcome, honestly, in order to be where he's at right now. He's an undersized guy coming off an ACL tear. That's tough as a running back. Um, you know, not the fastest guy in the world either, you know, but he just gets it done, his toughness and grit. In terms of overachievers, I would say Rick Gamboa would be my yeah, pick. Yeah, Rick though. Gamboa, I mean, he's getting there. He's not, he's not, hasn't been done enough for me yet, but I mean, he's definitely outperformed his physical attributes. There's no doubt yeah. about that. What about Michael Atkins in terms of a guy that hasn't gotten enough out of his potential? Yeah. Again, probably just didn't show enough overall. I mean, he's a good running back, but, man, I don't know. There's There's been a few out. I mean, John Major, What you know, his high, his high school film is still probably among my favorite of all time. Yeah. You know the one guy who didn't ever get a fair shake, but it wasn't his fault, was, was Josh Ford. He would have those amazing spring games. He looked really good in, in practices. Uh, and even in games when he got in there, aside from that fumble late in, against Arizona State, he always produced even in, in games. And I know a lot of times it was mop-up duty, but that kid, I, I really think if he got a, an opportunity, he could have been a, a, a feature back for CU. I really yeah. believe that. This, I'm, this is going to sound dumb because I can't remember the guy's name. There was a wide receiver when I was in college who had so much talent and just never got the ball. Like, it seemed like he was always wide open down the middle and never gave it to him. And he ended up making a practice squad in the NFL for a couple of years. I'll have to tweet it. I can't remember what okay. it was off the top of my head. But there was someone who I was always just like, God, I feel like this kid has so much talent. He just never developed at Colorado and then ended up, despite he probably had 200 total yards receiving at Colorado yeah. and then made a practice squad for a few years. Going back to Marcus Seamus, he had gotten in trouble a, a few times. And one of the more epic meetings any player had with the media in my time covering CU is he told us, he goes, yeah, the next time I'm wasted, man, I'm just going to pass out right where I am. I'm not going to get a car. He just flat out admitted that he was going to get wasted again very soon, and he was going to pass out wherever he was. Yeah, not the brightest guy ever. But, man, he had talent. His, his high school film was one of my favorite reels. Just him catching high yeah, point balls. I don't even think he ended up going to play anywhere else. He transferred back to San Diego somewhere, I think. And okay. Just, I'm sure he's well, doing the same stuff he's always been doing. Well, I hope he's he's matured a little bit and is doing well. All right, Andrew S. Buff one asked, "Do you believe Montez when he says his job is to stay inside the pocket? We all know he's best in rollouts. Is he just giving misdirection here? And don't you agree we're not rolling him out enough on play action?" Andrew also asked a lot of other questions, uh, but please limit yourself to one or two just because we only have so much time to record this podcast each week. 
What are your thoughts here? I, I, I think there's a little misperception here. I think Montez is just talking about in certain plays, right. he's got to stay in there to go through his progressions. Yeah, exactly. He's got to go through his progressions, and he's leaving the pocket too soon in situations where he doesn't need to. That's what he's discussing. He's not talking about his ability to produce outside the pocket. We all know he's really good there. Yeah. But you also have to be able to produce inside the pocket. Otherwise, teams are just going to bottle you up and force you to stay inside. And if you can't get anything done there, you're really easy to stop offensively. I do agree, though, that they need to roll them out more. At Old School Buff tweeted, How serious is the reported locker room discourse? McIntyre's presser reaction to Derek McCartney was telling, at least to me. I haven't heard a whole lot of locker room discourse. I haven't either. I don't know what question he's talking about. So, Derek McCartney was asked, basically, did you guys overlook Northern Colorado? And And Derek said something along the lines, yeah, we didn't show up ready to play today. And so when Mike McIntyre was asked about that comment by Derek, McIntyre said, well, Derek doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he probably should have chosen a different, different words there, but it's not in so much a locker room discourse. I think it's McIntyre saying, I don't want my players saying things like that to the media. Right. Yeah, which is totally understandable. I think Derek would probably take it back if he could as well. Moving along, black and gold, Josh asked about seven questions, and I just randomly picked one out. Coming into the season, most of the board looked at the Blackout Boys as a top five wide receiver group nationally. What do you attribute their seemingly slow start to? Lack of ability to get separation. And even plays where they've had the most success in the past, i.e. Fields' inability to break screen plays for long distances. Well, this is a concern I had before the years. You guys might recall as well. I didn't know if they had a true number one guy. I love their depth and they have a lot of talent. But you got to have somebody that you can go to in key situations all the time. I'm not sure this group has that. Um, separation, I don't think, is a huge issue. I mean, they're, I don't feel like they've, they've had a lot of opportunities missed on overthrows, for sure, in the first three games. So some of that's on Montez, too. Um, you know, I, I said from the beginning, I think they're a little bit overrated nationally. You know, from a depth perspective, they're as good as anybody in the country. But they don't have anybody who's going to get drafted in the first few rounds. So... One other thing that I would throw in there, too, is that they've been clearly very vanilla. Right. Which sometimes can affect that as well. I think they're going to open up the playbook. It's a question whether or not it's going to work, but I think that will help that group look a little bit better as they move forward. Yeah. JDub925 asked, will Adam ever be part of the Freeballing podcast, perhaps under a pseudonym? <laughs> he doesn't need a pseudonym. Yeah, I would love that. Um, we have to get ourselves on the Freeballing podcast <laughs> first, though. We actually are doing a dual podcast this week with a group from Washington that hit us up on Twitter and asked us to be a part of it. So we're doing that at the West End Tavern tomorrow night at 7 p.m. So if you guys want to come hang out with us, you can. Um, So that would be pretty cool. This will be the second time we've done one for football season. So we're getting back into it a little bit here. I think the expectation should be that we'll probably get this done every three or four weeks moving forward. Uh, It's just too much going in all all of our lives to do this every week. Yeah. My Wednesday is either two or three podcasts every Wednesday at this point, and I work too, so it's a little bit much for all of us to do the weekly stuff like we did in the past, so sorry to say that, but I mean, we, we are going to try to keep it a little more consistent because we had a lot of time off. So this collaboration that you're going to have with the Washington podcast, is, is their podcast similar to yours, you know, can yeah, I have a lighthearted deal? Um, yeah, it's definitely not super heavy topic or anything like that. Um, 
they don't do quite as much of the fun stuff as we do though. Like free bond, we do a lot of CU obviously, but we do a lot of just random stuff as well. Yeah. They don't do that as much. Okay. They're an interesting group of guys though. I think it'll be, I would think it'll be a worthy listen for sure. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Buff Nick one asked Colorado or Washington who has the better craft beers. Well, I'm not really the person to answer this question because I don't drink beer, but Colorado's probably got more options. I would say Washington's hotter right now, though, based on what we've seen. What is there a style that Washington is known for in terms of beers? No, or? not really. Um, they do pretty much everything. It, Colorado and Washington are probably the two states that have the most well-known craft beers and breweries in the country right now. So those are kind of the two that have taken over the scene. Uh, Michigan's kind of working their way up a little okay. bit there too, but uh, yeah, I mean they have a lot of good stuff. We carry some stuff from Washington and Oregon, those areas, so they do they do a really good job. But personally, I don't drink any of it, so I couldn't say. Ralphie's running asked, "Who do you guys find more attractive, Selena Gomez or Ariana Grande?" Asking for a friend. Okay, this is probably going to make me sound stupid, but I mean I know who these two people are, but if you put pictures in front of me, I'm not sure I could tell you which was which. I don't really spend a lot of my time with Selena Gomez and Ariana Grande. Uh, I remember they're both attractive, but I don't remember what either of them look like. Do you want me to pull them up right now? Sure, yeah. You, I'll t- you can tell me which one's which. See if I can get it right. Uh, well, yeah, oh, yeah. You, you want to tell me who it is. <laughs> well, it's going to be impossible, yeah. isn't it? Let's hit the images here. So here's Ariana Grande. Tyler, let's get the uh, evaluation. I mean, obviously, a she's... Little, a little too petite for she's me. She's gorgeous. There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm 6'7", so I can't be breaking people. You, you would crush that yeah. girl, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think Selena Gomez is small, too, though, right? What I was going to say, neither, neither one of those two are, like, right, in my top 50. Here's Selena yeah, Gomez. Okay, so Ariana, Ariana Grande is hotter, for sure. I'm going the other way there, but these would not be, like, my celebrity picks if we're... Right, yeah. They're, neither one of the two would be up there for me. Blake Lively is my number one, if you wanted to know. Okay. Good to know, Tyler. At CU Goose, of course, asked a basketball question. He asked, who makes an All-American team this year, McKinley Wright or Tyler Bay? I figure both will next year before they go pro after winning it at all. <laughs> Obviously, nice in jest a little bit here. <laughs> uh, you know, fortunately for CU, McKinley Wright's not taller because I think he's – the NBA is not clamoring for, what, a six-foot guard. Yeah. I mean, he does have freak Derrick Rose-level athleticism. I mean, that's fine. That was probably a little too far. But he can really fly. So, I mean, that helps him a little bit, and he's a little more of a bulldog. He reminds me a little bit of Chris Paul in that way, like just his physical attributes. He's going to – Chris Paul is what, 6'3"? Right, but he's, he's a more of a – he's going to – he could physically overmatch some of these skinnier guys, I think, get into the lane. And he's a freak athlete, which Chris Paul is not. So, um, No, six, Chris, Chris Paul is only six foot. Yeah, Interesting. Well, there you go. So – he does remind me a little bit of that physically, uh, but he's got more of a burst. Obviously, Chris Paul does a lot of other things better. I don't think he's Chris Paul, but um, I think McKinley Wright has a chance to be very special. It's not going to be an All-American this year, but if he does end up having to stay in college for four years, I honestly do think there's a chance that he could be an outside contender. Tyler Bay, it's going to be tough from an honors team standpoint just because right. what he does is yeah. stuff that – don't necessarily show up in terms of stats. Yeah, he's going to be a guy that probably ends up all-conference defensive selection at some point in his career. But, yeah, I mean, a guy who's averaging eight points and seven rebounds a game is not getting all-American honors. All right, let's switch gears back to football here, Tyler, and we're going to do your updated Pac-12 power rankings. Yeah, okay, so let me pull them up real quick here before I'll do a little bit off the top of my head. 12 is Oregon State. I think that's fairly obvious. 
Um, so 11 is, let's see here, 11 is Arizona State for me right now. Uh, real ugly, and, they're not, and their conference schedule is brutal. I think they're going to lose their first five games before getting to Colorado. Uh, Todd Graham's going to be looking for a new job next year for sure. Um, outside of that, there's not a lot of great options. Um, Arizona, you know, they're a team that's not going to be very good this year. I don't have a lot of high expectations for them at this point. Those are, I think, the three teams that are really, really struggling at this point. Or uh, I'm about to put Stanford next, which is a surprising choice, but really disappointing so far this year. Um, one and two, lost to San Diego State this weekend, who's a good team, and they've lost to two good teams, so I think they'll bounce back up here. But it is definitely a surprise to see them at one and two so far this year. Um, for me, next would probably honestly be UCLA. Uh, they were high on my list last week, but... Moved down quite a bit here, lost to Memphis. Not a brutal loss by any stretch. Memphis is a decent team, but I think UCLA is just really inconsistent right now, and it's hard to trust them one way or the other moving forward. Um, next for me is Utah. 3-0, they look good. They're ranked uh, a little bit better offensively than I think they, we were expecting this year, and their run defense is among the best in the country. I still just don't trust them long-term. I think they're a little bit limited. We'll see how they do against Arizona this week. Uh, next for me is Colorado. Uh, they haven't proved much. If you ask the fan base, they'd probably be lower on the list, <laughs> honestly. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Oregon, or no, sorry, Washington State is next for me on the list. You know, smoked Oregon State. They haven't done a whole lot that's impressed me. They're fortunate to beat Boise State, I think, in week two. Um, yeah, so the next one for me is going to be uh, – Oregon, they've looked very good so far. Uh, haven't done much in the second half of any of their blowouts, but if you're up 48 to 10 or whatever it was at halftime, you guess you don't really have to do all that much. Offensively, I really trust them. Defensively, I think they're a little bit overrated right now. Uh, that Arizona State game, I expect to be a pretty substantial shoot shootout. Oregon, I think, will win the game, though. Um, number three, Cal. Wow. Yeah. I mean, 3-0. Two really good wins. Ole Miss is a decent team. They won at North Carolina. I don't think they're the third best team in the Pac-12. I do, however, think that they deserve to be up here at this point because they've exceeded expectations. I had a pretty hefty bet on the under three and a half wins for their season. They have three in three weeks. So that's probably not going to work out in my favor. Um, I have USC next. They didn't look great last week against Texas. Coming off Stanford, though, that's always a tough game to rebound. They looked great there. I still think they're the clear front runner in the South. And then Washington right now for me is number one. Haven't proven a lot, but they look like the most physically dominant team in the conference and the best overall talent. All right, good stuff. Before we sign off here, a couple quick basketball topics. Amadou So commits to UCSB. Kind of a head-scratcher there just because it seemed like he might be close to committing to Colorado, but he wanted to wait to take some more visits. And you looked at his remaining visits, and you saw Illinois is more of a potential team that would that would poach him away. But there's that, that connection with the Oakland Soldiers and UCSB that I think plays into it quite a bit here. Yeah. Colorado, I'm told, has some other irons in the fire. Stay tuned to BuffStampede.com. We'll kind of tease more of our recruiting content on this podcast, and we'll find out who uh, the plan B is there, and we'll report that information. Pac-12 schedule was announced earlier this week. The Buffs are going to open at Oregon State on Friday, December 29th, then play at Oregon that Sunday. 
They then host the Arizona schools the following week. This is the year where the Oregon schools won't come to Colorado and the Buffs won't be traveling to the Bay Area schools. In terms of non-conference, that was already announced. CU opens against Northern Colorado, Tad Boyle's old program on Friday, November 10th. So, Tyler, we're we're less than two months away from the men's basketball season. Yeah, not getting that Bay Area trip is tough because I don't think Cal is any good at all this year, and that would have been a chance to get a road-winning conference play. So there's not a lot of available ones out there for what I expect to be a young team that's going to go through a few growing pains. I think they're probably going to end up being better than what I would have expected at the end of last year. Uh, but they're not, I don't think they're going to be a team that finishes in the top half of the Pac-12 this year. You've always done a good job with your non-conference scheduling piece, really breaking down those teams for people. Have you done any research into kind of how difficult this non-conference slate is for CU this Uh, year? I've looked at it a little bit initially. I haven't gotten to the point where I can do the piece yet for sure. I think think they did a good job of mixing in some winnable games along with some ones that are going to be teaching lessons for these guys moving forward. Some solid scheduling pieces, New Mexico, Iowa, that kind of stuff. Getting those games on the schedule are going to be pretty cool for these young guys and you know, it's. It, I don't think one one of these games, one or the other, is going to affect if they make the NIT or not. You know, like it's going to be an opportunity for these guys to get competition as they get into Pac-12 play and really understand what it's like to play D1 basketball. It was maybe hard to gauge because these games weren't televised, but just their Italy trip in general. Did you feel more optimistic or pe- more pessimistic about this team after that trip? Um, I, again, not really either. They looked good in two games. They looked bad in one game. That's kind of what. I think you're probably going to see this year some freshman mistakes at times are going to really be fun to watch. McKinley Wright looks like he's probably going to be, if not the best player on the team, the second best right away, which is what you wanted to see uh, get a little bit. We've watched him a little bit, but not enough to know how that's really going to play out. But I think he has a chance to move this program back in the right direction. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Appreciate you all for tuning in.